We were children of the Silicon Revolution, an X-generation conscripted to fight the console and home computer wars. A product of an analog 70s childhood, we came of digital age in the 80s, believing we could affect the world eight bits at a time. Armed with joysticks, full-stroke keyboards, jolt cola, and MTV haircuts, we proceeded into the vertical blank. There, we stayed up late at night, devising incantations from D&D rulebooks and beginner all-purpose symbolic instruction code. Video games were the match and programming was the fuse as the infinite possibilities of the digital world exploded into the internet age to come. We are Generation Atari. Musical atmospheric underpinnings of this episode were provided by Tony Longworth with the song Outside the Universe. Why we're thankful for Atari ST stock. Okay, so here is our first piece of feedback that we have. This is from Adam Taranfo. Hi, Jeff. I was listening to episode 22 of season three, Haunted House, and the top 27 scary things for Atari fans. The episode is amusing, and it's a fun one. You mentioned that you bought Tiger Vision's Marauder and Jawbreaker in the 80s and that you and your brother hated them both. Now, I don't remember saying we hated them both, but anyway. Uh, yeah, we said something about that. I was we not probably a... say we liked them that much, right? That's sad to hear as they're some of the best games in the Atari 2600's libraries. Well, great. I'm glad you like them, really. Because um, just because we didn't like something and we were our opinions are usually outside of the norm, so except for with River Raid. I can tell you. Anyway, maybe you don't like Marauder on the VCS because it's missing the first part of the game. Stratos. Ah, as it's called in the Atari computer. Or maybe it's because you played the Atari home computer version of Jawbreaker. Yes, we did, which is basically Pac-Man. I like it, though. I like that one. It's totally, but it's a totally different I was kind game. of disappointed that the that the VCS Jawbreaker was not like the Atari yes, 100 version exactly. Jawbreaker. That is exactly what he's saying. <laughs> um for whatever reasons, I hope that these links to articles on your... On no, I don't think that's right. I think he's saying that the Jawbreaker is... Because Jawbreaker is different on the VCS. You kind of... You go up and down some lanes and eat candy and stuff. I think what he's saying is, you know, that he really liked that one. And, you know, maybe we're thinking of the one that's just basically Pac-Man. But I actually, oh, at the time, okay. really wanted a game like Pac-Man. And I liked the idea of eating candy. And I was hoping that Jawbreaker on the VCS would be closer to the one on the... Eight, oh, eight I get what it is. Yes, of course. I was hoping Jawbreaker on the VCS would be more like the Atari 800 version. I really did. I know it, why it's no, not. Um, because we, they didn't we, want more lawsuits. And they didn't want to build a bunch of cartridges that they couldn't afford. And then Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially um, if they're Sierra. competing on the VCS platform and then they're making a game that's like Pac-Man that just because exactly. that wasn't like a fly. But. And then it, he goes on that Adam wrote a whole bunch of different blog entries and he has a whole bunch of items where he wrote, he says, um, whatever the reasons, I hope that these links to our orphan computer game website written by my friend Chris and I can help change your mind and give you both a reason to revisit these two rather excellent games. Well, I would love to play. I played, I went and looked at Stratos for one, and uh, it, it, it looked cool. I remember playing it 
Yeah, I remember playing Stratos, but it looks like it looks like it's all, Marauder and Stratos are very close to being the same game. Didn't you say like maybe one changes? So I, I haven't had time to look at. Um, <laughs> this is the thing. Okay, so let's first we will we'll put all of Adam's links into um, the show notes, and um, we'll take a look. One thing I, I want to say is that Marauder, as it as it's called on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, is not the same game on the Atari Eight Hundred. No. Marauders on the Atari Twenty Six Hundred is sort of a decent but but repetitive berserk clone, right? And but it has some good AI. That's what we said. Like I said, hey, it's got some good AI, and it, it's pretty neat. But it gets really boring after a time, and so yeah. does Berserk to, to first in a sense. But I love well, berserk. berserk. Was designed to be played for two minutes at a time. Right. It was an arcade game. Yeah, I mean those games don't have. That's why having arcade game ROMs. The the great part is you can have all the ROMs, you can play all the games. So the bad part is you can just see how what the lack of depth was for all those games if you can just keep okay. playing over and over and over again. So there, so on the Atari eight hundred, there is Marauder. Yes, there is. Starts out like Stratos, which is where you're right. firing up, and then you then it, then the next section is basically the same thing as Marauder on the twenty six hundred. That's what that's what I'm looking at on, on um, Atari Mania right now. I stand corrected. If you take Marauder and you play it, you will get half of the game, which is which is Marauder on the um, on the twenty six hundred. Only the second half of the game, not the first half. Well, that's cool. I I do, I do plan to go back and play some of those games. Maybe we'll do an update. He looks like they have some really good articles too. I, I they do. He's one. got a great site. So it's uh, we'll, um it's orphangames.com, and uh, everyone go over there and take a look. And also we'll put um, a link up to some, some of his stuff. Orphanedgames.com. Yeah. Orphan. O-R-P-H-A-N-E-D games.com. Right. And then he has a review of Marauder and I read through it and he's, they're right about some of the things in it. And I, you know, take a second look at Marauder. I actually had the cartridge. I got it for Christmas, a year uh, that dad was in a bad mood. I don't remember exactly why. We had to force him to buy us Christmas presents and um, we went out and to like, um, Music Plus, and we bought we got Marauder, and it, it just wasn't very good. And oh, so you yeah, and I even thought about was... how can we how can we shrink wrap this thing and take it back? We never did. We kept it. Yeah. Um. But um. But it was like that was how bad it was. Like how just I think it was more of like the whole just time was very disappointing. I don't remember. Exactly I do what not was think on. that was for Christmas. It was my for a birthday. Or birthday. Or like yeah. 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 Anyway, well, he got another game too at the time too. But still, it was I think Marauder was like a thirty five dollar like what the what the f. Um, it looked good. It had a great looking box. So, um, so thank you, um, Adam. Let's go on to the next bit of feedback that we have. We've been. Um, this is from David Schmidt via email. Yes. He says, "Hey guys, I listened to your Wishbook episode. It was a blast looking at the catalog pages while you described those wacky seventies products." Yeah, we, we agree exactly. Like with that exact sentence, I was shocked at how many of those items were familiar to me. You unlocked a whole new set of inert brain cells buried in my mind. It brought up an uneasy mix of emotions, pure nostalgic bliss combined with some regret about all the crap I convinced my parents to buy me. Yeah, I know exactly what he's saying. Exactly. My goodness, what landfills did all of that stuff end up in? Consumerism gone mad. And this has only accelerated massively now that the wish book is basically morphed into Amazon.com. But mostly, I'm still fond of those great memories. That crap certainly helped spark my creativity and curiosity, which I think served me well. Thanks again for another great episode, David. Well, hey, thanks a lot. Bill Lang, a mess, he sent a message to the Into the Vertical Bank Twitter account via DM, and he said, in your recent Chips Arcade episode, you used the term tall and skinnies, referring to a more affluent section of your neighborhood. What does that mean? 
Uh, and I let him know that that meant there was a section of town where there were these tall and skinny houses. And if you watch the beginning of Full House from the 90s, the set in San Francisco, they live in a tall and skinny. Um, right. Or that's what they show on the beginning. That's what the tall and skinnies are. But there's a neighborhood near it, lots of single family homes that are tall and skinnies. And it just happens to be an affluent neighborhood. It doesn't mean that the tall and skinnies made it affluent. It just happened to be that. And he said, I thought you West Coast kids spent your time tossing footballs with Joe Namath and playing catch with Don Drysdale. That's but a reference did, to the Brady Bunch, of course. It's a Brady Bunch reference. But you guys did pretty much the same stuff we all did growing up at the Jersey Shore. So yeah, he's we right. We all slightly did. We wore slightly different clothes. I think. Yeah, I mean, Probably we had. The, I don't know if I don't know when if when OPs made it out there, but I'm sure they did at some point, and that would have been yeah. our version of whatever Jersey Shore clothes, well, whatever clothes the Jersey Shore kids were wearing. But they may have been exactly the same. It's probably close anyway. So that's our feedback. Um, that was cool. I love to get feedback. This episode is Thanksgiving episode, and we are thankful. We decided we're thankful for Stoss. It's Stoss, the game creator. And it's the first piece of software that allowed us to actually make a real game and compile it. So that wasn't a construction kit of any kind. Yeah, it was kind of a construction kit, but but it was actually... Well, no, you have to to program everything. And then they had some built... So I had a... It had a library of tools like sprite builders and things. I mean, but it wasn't made, a construction kit. We did make a few things in basic on the Atari 100 and put and put them on BBSs to get download credits. And we did upload a lot of pinball constructions. We had pin, pinball constructions to pinball machines, which were amazing. I mean, they're not amazing to play, but it was amazing to be able to do it and export an exe. If you um, to go play them. If, no, it's that, speaking of those pinball machines, if you search on the word pin on HomeSite, HomeSoft, which is uh, on the on HomeSoft our site for Atari 800 games, there are yeah, a couple hundred pinball machines listed. I didn't look through them all, but I'm wondering if any of ours are on. I mean, I, so it may be something to look at for one of these times because I haven't been able to. I did not see it, but I'm thinking they must, they must have made it around because we uploaded them to BBSs that sent them everywhere. So Zambuzu Poker Dice was a game that Steve and I created in a, we started in about 1989 when we got Stoss. We probably finished it the same year. We had always been very, very unabbered with the game Yahtzee. We wanted to make our own, but we didn't want, we always thought the Yahtzee scorecard was a little limited. So we wanted to add a few items. We added a few, but we also wanted to jazz it up with graphics and sound. And we did. And so what we did was we, we, we took all the tools that Stoss provided and we made uh, a cool, well, we, what the, to the best of our ability at the time, to use those tools, including Stoss Maestro, the sprite designer, Degas Elite, for Steve to draw a title screen that was hilarious. And as much as we could, we built this game with as much, as much as we could throw in. Fireworks show that kind of mimicked the fireworks show from... Pele's soccer when you get an actual Yahtzee, which we call a Zamboozle. We had Steve strum the guitar and then we used a function of Stoss, that maestro that allows you to change the pitch of that sample so we could actually make music out of it. We played those in a row, which is, which is actually a feature of the language where you can make music based on various samples, which is really cool. But if you if you move the mouse in between the samples, it will slow them down. So, yeah, it did. That's uh, right. That's so what right. we the original version of this, we 
we, we made this whole thing. We worked on it for probably a year while we were going to school. We liked it. I mean, this is basically we had done some, uh, some basic programming on the Atari 800. We barely knew how to make a game loop, but we figured it out. We figured out what we had to do. And then it also had to be sort of event-based because you had to be able to click on things at various times. And so we actually looked up how to do like reusable code. With, it was only like Go subs in um, Stoss. But when I went back and looked at the code now, we for all of the sounds that we played, we basically set some variables before and then passed them in. And we made like a sound sample player that was based on variables you passed in, in quotes. But you don't really pass anything, you just set them before. We did a lot of reusable code like that. And then at the end, very end, we even slapped in a two-player mode. So we actually made it like a thing where if player equals two, then you get two players. P equals two or something. And the thing is, I thought that was like a terrible way to do it at the time. That's the way you do it. So, um, so yeah, P, if P equals two, then at some point it actually goes to the second player's turn rather than the first and plays different samples and things. I mean, it was we did a pretty good job, but nothing ever came. But I think I remember packaging up a version and thinking I sent it to ST format, but we never got a response at all. And, and as I th- recall, possibly that didn't happen. No, I think we tried to, but I'm not sure that it actually happened. Like, I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I'm not sure if we actually did it. Like, we wanted to like, send it. I don't remember us putting it in an international envelope and or knowing how to put. Sta- I mean, I was like 19 at the time. I should have known how to put stamps on something and send it. But it was. It would be an international package to send and. I'm not quite sure we did that. Now, what it could have been is I we sent it to Antic or Anal, I mean Start or or ST Log, and at the time they just weren't doing Stoss stuff, and they weren't even just putting games on their thing. They were kind of like you had to teach people to program, and that would have been an easy one to send in the U.S. The other ones would be more difficult, and I don't know what we did and why it even would have been ST format because they didn't do much Stoss stuff. In their, yeah, I guess they did a good amount of Stoss stuff in their manual. I, I don't know if they did or not. I think but that in we any were... case, it just died. Let's just put it this way: it died. But now it's up on Atari Mania. So, oh, that's cool. If you look up Zamboozle Poker Dice, you can find two different versions on Atari Mania, and it has the, it has the instructions we created. Two different versions: one that I just redid um, that we'll talk about in a bit. Also, well, and here I, I we made have some a... improvements to it. I've got a story I wrote all about it. So why don't we play that now, and then we can talk about it afterwards? Sure, let's do that. Zamboozle Poker Dice for your Atari ST computer. This instruction manual covers version 1.0 from 1989 and 1.2 from 2020. Limited warranty. Wheat Media warrants the diskette on which the enclosed program is recorded will be free of defects for 30 days after purchase. Wheat Media makes no warranties, either express or implied, as to the software program recorded on the diskette. The program is provided as is, with no warranty whatsoever. This means, if the game sucks, sorry, you own it. The software store you bought this from most likely does not accept returns of open packages. Why? Because there is a good chance you and or your friends are dirty software pirates who like to buy games, copy them, then try to return them. Furthermore, if you are reading this, you already opened the package and you're out of luck. However, if you have access to a shrink wrap machine, then you might get away with rewrapping it and trying for a return. Good luck and Godspeed. 
requirements. The enclosed software program is designed to run on an Atari ST brand computer. It requires at least 512K of memory, a disk drive, color monitor, mouse, and the TOS 1.02 operating system. If you are running on an Atari STE computer, the 1.2 version may be the only version that works for you. Check the manual that came with your computer to make sure your system is compatible before calling customer service. Most problems are user error and not the fault of Wheat Media, its employees, leadership, or shareholders. If there is a problem with the game, you can lay blame squarely on the shoulders of the lame coders who made it. You can find their names on the credit page in the back of this manual. Acknowledgements. This game was made using Stoss the Game Creator, released in 1989 by Mandarin Software and developed by JawX. We, the programmers, were compelled to program games ever since playing Asteroids in 1979. Books like Dr. C. Wacko's Miracle Guide for the Atari 8-Bit helped us learn the basics of programming when we were teenagers, but it wasn't until we were fumbling around in college in 1989 and Stoss arrived for the Atari ST that we were able to get moving on the dream to make video games. Stoss combined a simple-to-learn basic programming language, sprite editor, sound designer, and a compiler. The whole system finally allowed us as neophyte coders to finally turn our ideas and creations into honest-to-God compiled Atari ST games. However, tools and desire are not the only ingredients needed for success. And as you will see with the final version of Zamboozle Poker Dice you were holding in your hands, sometimes the final product, no matter how hard someone works, maybe should never see the light of day. Twenty twenty update. The one point two twenty twenty version has been updated to work with all TOS versions. We've also updated some of the music and sounds. Introduction. Zamboozle Poker Dice from Wheat Media, which by the way was our joke name for a fake company in high school, then the joke name of our two-song rock band, then the joke name of this one-game company, and one day became the name of our first short-lived web design firm. Zamboozle Poker Dice is an exciting new take on the classic game of Poker Dice. The game is for one or two players. Each player takes turns rolling a set of five dice and attempts to make poker hands based on the number rolled. On their turn, the player gets the opportunity to roll the dice three times. After each roll, the player can choose dice to re-roll. The others will remain unrolled. The objective is to make poker hands with the dice. After the third roll, the player must choose a poker hand to which they will apply their dice. With one exception, second Zamboozle, all poker hands can only be used once. Starting a game. Put the Zamboozle Poker Dice diskette into your compatible Atari SG 3.5 inch disk drive and click the floppy disk icon that represents the drive where you inserted the disk. This is usually floppy A or floppy B. Notice, Zamboozle Poker Dice includes no copy protection so the files can be installed on a hard disk drive, such as the Megafile 20. To install on a hard disk drive, simply copy the files from the enclosed Zamboozle Poker Dice diskette to a folder on the hard disk drive. I suppose this also means you can easily upload the game to your favorite BBS, you dirty software pirate. We have tested version 1.2 on all TOS versions and on both GemDOS, IDE, and the ASCI hard drive hooked up to a real STE and both Atari and Steam emulators. When you see the program named ZAM.PRG for the 1.0 version or ZAM2020.TOS for the 1.2 version, double click and prepare to experience the absolute wonder that is Zamboozle Poker Dice.
Next, the title screen will appear. Do not be shocked. Yes, this is the title screen. This is what happens when a couple of twin brothers with a lot of ambition and very little talent attempt to make their first game. See second game theory at the end of the manual for more information. After a few seconds, the second title screen will appear. We couldn't decide which one to use, and one of us, me, really liked this Zamboozle Man character, so we put him here. Also, this screen has a second logo not related to one on the title screen. Did you read that note about warranties back on page one? Yeah, this is one of the things we were referring to. Click the left mouse button in version 1.0, or press a key, 1.2, to start the game. The main game screen will load up, and a message will appear asking you to choose the number of players. It's quite possible that back in the 80s, you might have had another person there with you to play this game. So if you have a time machine and 1989 is your target year, have at it. Otherwise, you are probably emulating this game on a laptop computer or you finally got a surplus 1040 ST running in your garage. Either way, there's an almost 100% chance you are alone. So don't kid yourself. Just choose one player. When you do, you will see a confirmation box like this one. It says one player, are you sure, yes or no? Nearly every choice in this game is followed by a confirmation box, such as this. I suppose we are trying to be user friendly and wanted to make sure all aspects of the game could be confirmed by the user. What if real life was like that? What if all of your choices came with a confirmation box that let you think twice before committing? Maybe I would have taken computer science or played college soccer if I had been prompted by a pop-up modal dialog box to think twice about my snap decisions in my youth. Hey, did someone mention a time machine? Anyway, these damn confirmation boxes are all over the place and I won't mention them again. Rolling the dice. Click on the big roll button to roll the dice. You will be clicking with the mouse pointer that looks like a pencil. Why a pencil, you ask? Well, for two reasons. One, because in the physical game of poker dice, you use a pencil to record your score on a scorecard. Two, because we had the ability to change the mouse pointer into a cool graphic, so we painstakingly drew a pencil for you. I hope you like it. After clicking, you will see an animation of dice rolling in the lower right corner of the screen. We were really proud of this animation back in 1989, and I still think it looks pretty cool. Anyway, the final roll of the dice will appear in the top window, sorted numerically from lowest to highest. Selecting dice to re-roll. After you roll, you have the chance to select dice to re-roll. Simply hover your mouse cursor pencil over the die you don't want to keep and click the left mouse button. The die will turn into a multicolored block. If you make a mistake, click again and the die will reappear. If that was a second mistake, then click again and the box will reappear. Keep doing this until you get really bored and want to move on to the next step. Click the roll button to roll the dice you selected. On your second roll, you have the option to select some or all of the dice to re-roll again. After your second re-roll, you must choose a hand to apply your dice. You do not have to roll three times. At any time, you can click the stay button and apply your dice to the poker hand on the score sheet. Apply the dice to the poker hand. When you click on one of the poker hand options on the score sheet, you will be presented with a screen that asks you, are you sure? I know, I know. I said I wouldn't mention these annoying screens again, but this one is really important. You really should think about the hand to which you will apply your dice. See the strategy tips section for some things to consider. If you click yes, your score will appear and your turn will be over. Scoring options. The options for scoring in Zabuzzle Poker Dice mostly follow the rules of poker. The top six scoring options are for multiples of the same die, one, two, three, four, five, or six. A score above 63 in this section will net the player a bonus on the scorecard. The next section is filled with options for various specialized poker hands. One pair. Use this option when you have at least two dice with the same value. Note, this is new to Zabuzzle Poker Dice. Two pair. Use this option when you have two sets of dice, each with the same value. 
Note, this is also new to Zamboza Poker Dice. Three of a kind, use this option when you have at least three dice of the same value. Four of a kind, use this option when you have at least four dice of the same value. Full House, use this option when you have three dice of the same value and the other two dice of a different same value. Small Straight, use this option when you have at least four dice with consecutive numbers. One, two, three, four, two, three, four, five, three, four, five, six. Large Straight, use this option when all five dice are in succession. One, two, three, four, five, or two, three, four, five, six. Zamboozle. Use this option if all five dice are the same. Getting a Zamboozle will start an animated sequence that can only be described as sublime. While it's not great, it was still maybe the highlight of the first 10 years of my attempts at programming. Second Zamboozle. Use this option for the second Zamboozle. Don't use it for the first. If you do, you will get zero points. If you do get a second Zamboozle, you will be treated to the above-mentioned animation one more time. Enjoy! Chance. This is a fallback space. You get points no matter what are on the die. Your score is the sum of the dice. Use it wisely. Blackjack. This is a special space for playing a hand of blackjack against a computer. See the special options section for details. Aside from the new scoring options on the score sheet, Zambulza Poker Dice includes a few other new surprises for anyone familiar with the classic game of Poker Dice. The blackjack hand plays like a short, interactive version of the casino card game of the same name, where 21 is the best possible score. Keep an eye on the total displayed below your dice. When it's near or exactly 21, click Stay. Click Stay if you're on a first or second roll, then click the blackjack option on the score sheet. The infernal program will ask you, are you sure? But since there is no bloody hell of course option, just click Yes. The computer will now roll the dice. You will see the dice animated in the lower window. If the total score of your dice is higher than that of the dealer, and 21 or under, then you win. Otherwise, you get zilch. Another new addition to Zambuzo Poker Dice is Wild Play. Wild Play gives you a second chance after your third roll. You only get to use Wild Play once during a game, so make it count. When you click Wild Play, the possible awards are plus 5 to the top score, plus 10 to total score, roll again, and zilch and they appear randomly. Roll again is usually the best option as it lets you get one more chance at getting that perfect poker hand you are trying for. A note on sounds. If you are playing the game along with these instructions, no doubt you have heard a few things coming from your computer speaker that either gave you pause or made you jump in your seat. Don't worry that Spectre you and the local vicar drove out a few years ago has not returned. It's just the game, silly. Like I stated in the acknowledgments, when we made this game back in 1989, we used a very cool program named Stoss the Game Creator, published by Mandarin Software and developed by JawX. Stoss made our dream of making this game a reality for which we are truly indebted. One of the cool things about Stoss was that it had an optional sound digitizer called Stoss Maestro that would let a developer record their own sampled audio to use in the game. As you may or may not know, sampled audio can take up a lot of space in a 3.5 inch 740k floppy disk. We had big plans for this game, and save for a few system sounds, nearly every sound you hear was digitized by a couple of neophytes with absolutely zero experience in sound editing. That attitude guitar? That's me strumming. That arg you hear when you get a zero score? That's my brother. When we realized the game only topped out at 160k compiled, we planned to update with more sounds, but then tragedy struck. The Stoss Maestro cartridge stopped working, and we didn't have the money to replace it. We just decided then to go with what we had so we could get the game completed. There is no option to turn off the sound, but you can always reach over to your ST monitor and turn the sound off, 
or put on some headphones. Your choice. We are truly sorry about the sounds. Note, if you're running the 2020 released 1.2 version of the game, some of the sound warping has been fixed and the music has been swapped out. It turns out it wasn't just low quality samples that were the issue. It was the mouse interrupts. If you moved the mouse while playing the sounds, it would slow their playback and distort them. High score. At the end of the game, you will get the chance to enter your name and a quote if you happen to have beaten the high score. Since there are only two known disc images of Zambuzel in existence, you might see a screen that looks like this. It says, The King. Name, Jeff. Score, 522. Date, 11-27-1991. 84% of the maximum score. Message from the King. I am the King which I believe is a reference to a local mattress commercial from 1991. The current high score of 522 was set in late 1991 by my brother Jeff. The score is nearly impossible to beat. I know. I've tried off and on for the last 30 years. If you do beat it and care enough to send me an email at steveafulton at gmail.com, I'd love to see it. Note, in the 1.2 2020 version, Jeff has replaced the high score with one that is lower and easier to beat. Strategy Tips you do not need to use all three of your rolls. If you have good dice on the first or second roll, click stay and get your score. If you have the dice for a small straight, but have more rolls, always keep rolling the single die that is not in the small straight in case you can make a large straight. Keep your eye on the die total. If you have 21, hit the blackjack right away. That is 45 points you don't want to miss. Try to save the chance option for the last possible moment. It's a nice fallback for when you're going for that elusive zamboozle. Aces and one pair are good spots to leave a zero as a last resort. Save wild play as long as you can. Near the end of the game, it could be an invaluable resources to help fill out some of those harder spots on the score sheet. Coming soon from Wheat Media in the 1990s, Oxygen, a furious shooting up battle with the periodic table of elements itself. Gumpha Racing, a space-themed horse racing simulator. The Legend of Queen Calafia, a role-playing game set in California, battle myths, legends, and history itself to discover the treasure buried at the heart of the Golden State. RPG 1987, working title. A, a modern-day role-playing game, battle the forces of evil and their alien overlords to free the world from their dastardly clutches. Design sketches only. Note, none of these games are ever finished. The limitations of our skills with Stoss and the real-world implications of needing to find our place in the world both combined to end our Atari ST game careers before they got started. Zambuzo Poker Dice was finished in 1989, but very few people ever saw it. The code and game were buried within the mounds of 3.5-inch disc boxes that held our other Atari ST software. Not long after, in 1992, we traded up our 1040 Atari ST for a DOS Windows 386DX40. While we plan to continue learning to program and make games for DOS, the system just did not seem as fun or creative as the Atari ST once did. In time, we gave up on game development, realizing that want and desire to make games Games, while important, cannot fully replace talent and skill. In the mid-1990s, the World Wide Web emerged. 
early websites were a combination of simple graphics plus HTML and CGI coding. Those technologies were perfect for our small but growing set of software development skills. In many ways, it felt like the experience of programming 8 and 16-bit computers in the 80s prepared us directly for the connected world of the 90s World Wide Web. Animated GIFs were nothing more than the types of multi-frame animations we made for Zamboozle on the ST. The event-based programming in STOS was a perfect primer for the GUI, user-centric world of the World Wide Web. While Zimbuzo Poker Dice itself never amounted to much, as it turned out, the experience of making that game was invaluable for our future. Around the year 2000, my twin brother and I were both working at Mattel Toys, making consumer websites for their various brands like Barbie and Hot Wheels. At the same time, a little animation plugin for web browsers named Macromedia Flash was taking hold of the internet. Kids were moving in droves from PC-based edutainment games to browser-based Flash games. We found ourselves in the right place at the right time to finally make our game development dreams come true. We formed a game development team out of web programmers, took the initiative, and proved we could make games for websites. In the beginning, the games were not always things we wanted to play ourselves, but that did not matter. We used those projects to get better and better at the craft of making games. In time, and after a lot of practice, making web games became a truly satisfying and successful endeavor. In all, as senior developers and development managers, we were involved in the creation of over 200 web games for Mattel and other properties over a 12-year span. We added even more web and mobile games after starting the website 8bitrocket.com, dedicated to teaching people to program in Flash and make their own indie web games. Here are just a few of the many games we created in that era. Retro Blaster, Hot Wheels Spin City drive Through Dilemma, Hot Wheels Track Mod, palindromes. Second Game Theory The experience of using Flash made our video game aspirations finally come true, and it also led to writing several books on game development in the early part of the 2010s. In many ways, these books were inspired by Stoss and the tools we used to help us take the first steps toward our dream of programming games. We had finally done what we set out to accomplish in 1979 and wanted to show others how to do the same thing. When I wrote the introduction to our first book, The Essential Guide to Flash Games in 2010, the experience with Zambuzel weighed heavy on my mind. I wanted to convey to the reader how important it was to never give up, and that it was very important to take what you learn in your first game and pour that knowledge and experience into the next, something that never happened with Zambuzel Poker Dice. Your first game will probably suck, I thought, but your second will be a little better. And after some time thinking, I arrived at what I called the second game theory. This is what I wrote. Second game theory. What about your first? Well, of course you need to make your first game, but inevitably your first game will not be all that you hoped it to be. It just happens. Don't blame yourself. You will cut features for time, get frustrated, and sometimes not even finish. However, this is the most important thing we want you to do. Finish your game and move on to the second it is the only way you'll get better at making games. This is what I call the second game theory. This book is set up in a way that we believe will help you finish a game and move on to your second game. It is important to us that you actually finish your games. We love to play great games. Every time you finish a game, no matter how good it is, you get a little bit better at your craft. When you get better, we get better games to play. We get more innovative games to play. The craft of making games advances a little bit further. Your job is to finish something and move on to the next project. Move on to your second game, your third, etc. However, your first game should not be considered a prototype, a beta, an alpha, etc. It should be considered a finished product. If not, you will always be stuck on your first game, and that can lead to development hell, a place where games are tortured to death and never finished.
We believe that making games is an iterative process, and it comes at two levels. First, the process of making each individual game is iterative. You code your game, you refine it, code it, refine it over and over until you mold something that you finally finish. However, the actual craft of making games is also iterative. With each game you finish, you improve your code, processes, libraries, object models, game ideas, game designs, etc. That is why it is so important to get your second game. Writing your second game means you will improve on your first, which can then be used to improve your third, etc. Again, when I wrote that I was thinking directly about Zamboozle and how the experience of making that game and not continuing on to a second game set me back for a decade. The key to this is keep going. Even if you start with a well-intentioned but terrible dog like Zamboozle Poker Dice, it doesn't mean it'll be your only or last shot. If it's what you really want to do, don't stop. In a few cliched but still useful words, never give up. That may sound trite and stupid, but it's also true. Unless you are lucky or rich, no one is going to hand you what you want out of life. You have to treat every opportunity as a chance to do what you truly want to do. If you keep at it, you may find yourself writing a fake instruction manual for your first real game 30 years down the line. You'll enjoy every word you write as you recall those very first steps you took to create something put back into the world. You will smile to yourself knowing that while that game might not have turned out as you wanted, it became the cornerstone of an unexpected and satisfying future you could never have predicted if you tried. Code Review 2020 we took a long, hard look at the code for this game in September of 2020. The original 1.0 version was completed 31 years ago, and we had not even taken a peek at the code until now. The basic code was actually pretty well written for novice programmers in 1989, given it's in basic. For instance, much of the code uses reusable GoSubs where necessary. The music code was created to be able to play multiple samples in a row and change the key to create sampled music. So a single guitar strum was turned into a song in the version 1.0. This is a Stoss Maestro function that was pretty cool, but the mouse slowed the sample play. If you try the original 1.0 version, you can hear the notes distort when the mouse is moved. Since the game uses the mouse, it created a problem that we mostly cleaned up by adding newly sampled music that we have created specifically for the game using Acid on the PC and exporting out as an 8-bit raw sample from Audacity. We also created a modified title screen with the new version number, but left Steve's original design of Zamboozle Man's eyes bugging out intact. The game uses some interesting extensions. First, of course, it uses the great Stoss Maestro extension, but it was really difficult to find a compiler version to use and recompile. Luckily, we found it on an old disc we had, as it was not available anyplace else. The Squasher plugin is also used for the externally loaded screens. This came out on the game's galore retail package, and the compiler extension was also difficult to find, so it also came from an old disc in our archive. We have placed both of them up for download on our website. Credits. Ian Legler, current president and co-founder of Wheat Media. He now works as a software development manager at Microsoft. Ian still has his original Atari 2600 hooked up to a TV. Brandon Christ, QA and playtesting. Brandon is currently an aspiring novelist and teaches high school journalism in English. Brandon would still play Gateway to Abshai on his original ClicoVision if he still had it. But instead, he is going on a 20-plus year long game of Diablo 2. Jeff Fulton, Zamboozle programmer and artist. In 2013, after finishing his third book on game development, co-written with his twin brother, HTML5 Canvas 2nd Edition, Jeff moved into the realm of web e-commerce where he works as a software architect. Jeff is currently building homebrew Atari ST games in his spare time. Steve Fulton, Zamboozle programmer, artist, writer of fake game manuals, 
In 2013, after finishing his third book on game development co-written with his brother, Steve returned to Mattel Toys, where he works on connected toy design, software architecture, artificial intelligence, and extended reality. Steve is now programming homebrew Atari 7800 games in his spare time. And that's Zamboozle Poker Dice. And that's Zamboozle Poker Dice. So that's and that great. is Zamboozle Poker Dice. That's um, all about it. That was it. great. You wrote most of that. <laughs> I filled in a few things in there about the um, about the new version. But yeah, that was hilarious. I liked it. So what's what's funny is is that Stoss was the first thing that we were able to use to make something that uh, I think it was, was worthwhile, like put back into the system. It was right? revolutionary for this Pete thing. It wasn't. We had made stuff with Pinball Construction Set. We had written a bunch of basic stuff. I, we actually had wrote, writ, written a couple games where we had copied some machine language code in data statements and dropped it in so you could maybe do a few little things, but never a lot of animation, just little things. But we had never got to, and I did, actually wanted to get like some of the game creators. There was the arcade construction set and stuff like that. But Stoss was the first thing that actually was a full programming language that would do things besides let you just do code. So I had done a game like Zamboozle called Zamfir Poker Dice in GFA Basic in just for just the black and white monitor. I can't find that anywhere. I may have oh, it on a man. disc, but I actually don't have a disc drive now to get it off of. But but that's okay. Um, well, because we took one. everything from that and put it into this version. We could, we could actually do graphics and sounds and stuff. And what we were more interested in than the actual hardcore programming, like was not interested in learning the hardcore assembly language because I didn't, I wanted to make a game. I didn't want to learn assembly language. Like, to me, there were two absolutely different things. Yeah, no, I was I always felt, you know, I mean games back then and even now doing the um the homebrew stuff. It's like I want I, I have a desire to learn how to do stuff from the metal and the and the and the do it from the core and the, the you know, the um assembly language. But at the same time I also have a desire to make things. And and there's a there's a difference sometimes between wanting to create something and get it, get something done that I'm really proud of and actually doing it from the super most detailed technical level. And I usually side with, you know what, I'd rather just write it in, in like 1700 basic and be able to be creative with the graphics and stuff and spend my time making music and working on gameplay and stuff like that than trying to make it, you know, a highly technical implementation. And, and maybe that makes me some kind of tech loser or something, but I just enjoy the creation Tech part. loser. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I enjoy the creation part more than right. I think I think the fact that we you could make things with it that were that you the output of it was pretty easy to get something cool out of it, not just spend years learning how to add two numbers in assembly language, right? Like that's I'm cool sure in itself. It got over the hump. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have. It just. It just took a long time, and I always sided with the stuff that allowed me to to make things. So that's what I liked about Stoss. And we did a couple things with Stoss. I was very excited about it. But what I, I we made Zamboozle. And by the way, you also did a version for Turbo C. Oh yeah, Turbo Windows. C plus yeah, Turbo C. And then plus I plus. made a version for Microsoft Silverlight, which of course is probably the one version that could never see the light of day ever. And then I made another version for Flash. They weren't very good. They were very basic. Well, uh, the DOS one that I did is actually has even more choices for Yahtzee. So I added in. So this wild play in the in the Atari ST 
version gives you, you, you take your whole turn over again. We said extra roll, but really you get, you roll three times again. Like you don't get one extra roll. I added uh, uh, just one extra roll and take your turn over into that one. I also added a micro straight. So I was only three dice in a row because I had extra room on the screen. And maybe something else too. We'll get to that one at some point if we have to. It's only, in, it's in text mode with a bunch of colors because the text mode in, in DOS was really cool. You know, so you can do all kinds of colors and things that reminded me a lot when I go back and look at sort of the um, Amstrad games and things like that. The it runs sort of text modes and some of those like the, the DOS text mode was pretty cool for doing things like that. I never figured out how to mix text and graphics on a screen. So or I would have done it in graphics if I could. That was on the PC, though. So we're not really. Yeah, I like the little windows and stuff on that one. The DOS yeah, I wrote my own windowing utilities. Yeah, it, in was, there. it was cool. I, I really liked that version. But um, what happened with Stoss was we made Zamboozle, and I had all these ambitions to do, like, action games and stuff like that, but I ran into a technical brick wall, right? And I think I would never have been able to get over that or anything else or even, like, do 7800 games unless we hadn't spent so much time when we got to Flash actually optimizing it, right? So, right, exactly. so when I started making Flash games in the 2000s, I just kind of took the same attitude. Like, I didn't really care about the technicals. I really just wanted to make stuff. But it, it got to the point where we had to get super in the weeds to make the things we wanted to make. And by going there, we learned a lot of optimization techniques just for games in general. And so I use a lot of those in 7800 Homebrew now. And so am I in, in when I'm doing some more and some so, new stuff. And so stuff tell me, like, again, I, we didn't know at the time that Stoss was a joke that people, like, we, we didn't have any idea. We, we lived in, in the United States. Well, we didn't even know anyone else who even knew what a Stoss was you know, much less an AMOS. We did, though, get click and play for Windows 3.0 or 3.1, and it was a co really cool game maker for Windows that then never ever got made upgraded to Windows 9. I really wanted yeah. to, but I never made anything. You can, you can still download it and, and run it. It's really interesting. I, I have like, the original discs. I have the, I mean, I have the original it, everything for it. I'll bet you if people wanted to make a Windows game, like, like, like retro Windows 3.0, click and play would be a great tool to build actually you could do that now and have you and, and distribute it via to run in dosbox it would be really i cool. know i know it's cool isn't it i mean I think that's actually like, that's a fun well, thing. do dosbox game work in windows i think we should do a we should probably do a lesson on building a, a windows game with click and play and playing it so but how do, is there a windows 3.1 emulator anymore 3.11 emulator i don't anymore? know i don't know that's something we'd have to look up but I, anyway I, I digress but, but then I got to the point in Stoss where I couldn't do anything. So there, I left like three or four. I have all the graphics I made for games, but I don't have any games except for the one that we made. I think yeah. there's some code for displaying some stuff on the screen, but it really was not not In the not manual, much. that's going to be, let's, let's add Atari Mania, and obviously it'll be linked to this post on our site, and a post about this, for the post about this. Oh, the manuals, yeah, so we made the but fake manual. You have yeah. some graphics What's, from the three or four different games that we, that we were designing, and, you know, Oxygen looks like a fun shooter game. I'm sorry, it's not a fake manual. It's an actual manual, but it's fake because we didn't write it back then. <laughs> well, but you know what? Um, if you, if you, okay, if you go to Atari Mania, the tech of the original manual that we wrote he's dropped in to so you go to atarimania.com let me see if this, what I, do we need the original manual so there's a text file that came with it oh really yes yeah, so let me find I it i didn't right now. remember that okay 
No, I'm, I'm going, to look, going to look for it right now. That's hilarious. Okay, so type in Zamboozle. You download Poker Dice originally, and if you scroll down to the thing, it says Overview Zamboozle Poker Dice is a game of skill and chance, rules the game. It, it, ha it has everything, for the, has all the original stuff we wrote and none of the extra stuff you wrote. So okay, it's that's all in on that there. one. Did he upgrade to? Is there a manual for the 2021 up there? Um, for the well, if you it had, I guess yeah, he does. So if you go to the two, the Stamboos S 1.2, he actually put the manual up. There's a PDF manual. So, oh, good. Okay, that that's perfect. That's a perfect way to do it. Yeah, he, he um, yeah, Marco's really good about keeping yeah, I stuff like that. organized. In I'm fact, happy Marco put up the original version without me even sending it to him. He heard us talk about it on the podcast or something like that, and he grabbed it from our site because I had it up on there and he put that that zip up and he made it work and then oh, he also cool. said hey it only works on STs and I said oh crap so that's why I redid the whole thing and gave him one that works on all Atari ST computers all hey, versions it's fun to actually have something up there which is really cool yeah. so hey everybody it's Bill from Atari Bytes every week on my show I play a great old game then I read an original short story I wrote inspired by that game Loosely inspired. Okay, often completely different. Sometimes not even based on any sort of reality. In contrast, on Into the Vertical Blank, which you're listening to right now, you get real stories about real people and what these games mean to them. So keep listening. So anyway, you've been doing some work now. I know I've been kind of egging you along, and I've been doing 700 well, you've been stuff. Well, you doing 700 stuff. You've done a lot of work. I've been egging you along a bit to do some ST stuff, and, and recently you have been. So tell me a little bit about, about what you're doing with Stoss. You did a couple lessons that are up well, on YouTube. Let's go First, let's go step back to what I did to improve Zamboozle from the first version to 1.2. I think we called it, or let me see. What I did was I took a look at what we had the problem when you move the mouse, you would have the, and while, well, version 1.2, when you, when you move the mouse the, and um, during the guitar strums or whenever multiple samples were playing, it would actually slow down the space between the samples. And we had timed it pretty, pretty much so we could. And at some point we just gave up because we didn't know, because we needed the mouse to play. I found out how to turn the mouse off. I did that, but there's no way to know exactly when the final sample is done playing. So you turn the mouse back on, you the user could still slow it down So by moving the mouse. So I disabled the mouse during all of our music playing now, so that it's just completely disabled. Um, and I know how long that is, so I fixed that. I went and did a whole bunch of little fix. I put in a whole bunch of fixes to various pieces of the game that needed to be shorter, things like that. For the most part, I just wrote a new tune and put it at the beginning. So there's a new sample tune there. And then I went in and made sure it could compile and do that. I had to find all of the old uh, compiler and Stoss plugins that we used. And we used the Maestro one, which you can only get the Maestro uh, extension from the disks. And you had to install the disks and it would not install it properly unless you had a compiler disk. So you had to install it onto a compiler disk. It's really weird. So I had to fake it. So I finally found the disk and did it anyway. I found the, the Maestro extension so I could compile it. And I found this Packer extension that we use to pack the graphics. And oh, I yeah. found it. It just took like a week for me to figure out how to do this stuff. And I found it. So all of those are up. There's a post on our site I'll link to that if anyone wants the Maestro extensions for Stoss, that aren't really, don't really exist anywhere else on the web except for the only one that exists is the the Stoss extension, not the compiler extension. 
and the same with Packer. I have them both up that if anyone wants to use those, they can. And they're pretty good extensions. Obviously, nature really should play samples. Well, that's cool. So I know that, but but I know at one time we talked about just fixing that code completely and redoing it, but it's it's more fun to no build need. new stuff. So, so I know you went on an exploration. What do you, you have a couple lessons up on YouTube now. I, so I do. What so are they? The first lesson I did, I did two tutorials that are up right now. It's, they span seven different, well, eight lessons, really. The first lesson in tutorial number one, it really has two things that we do. The first one is it, it shows you how to use stos on a hard drive with and i give a download of exactly what you need so i i packed this download full of not every piece of stos because you can download that and add it to it but every piece of the language and all the extensions that i would be using um, so there's a blitter extension there's an ste extension both those both by this guy named asia burrows there's um some other extension called the missing link ex- extension there's um, one called the extra extension. I put those all in both the compiler and the, the Stoss interpreter versions. And I explained how you'd actually set this up on a hard drive. So anybody, even if you don't care about the ST or you just want a simple way to start programming, learning how to program, how computer games were programmed back then, I explained how to set up the whole environment and you're ready to go. So it's like, basically, here's an construction kit about how to get stuff going. Then I, link, saw, I, linked, I saw that the last one in there was actually getting something, getting a oh, screen okay. up there. So right? I'll let, let you know what happened. So then, then after I do that, then you actually, something that I could never find too many places, I did find on a, a great site called stosscoders.com. And stosscoders.com also has a Facebook group. But um, I found some magazines on there, these disc magazines. And there's one that has, that I, I had extracted some stuff from a while ago and just put it on my hard drive and forgot about it. I found it and it had a tutorial about how the, the simple tutorial about the blitter and I'd already used the blitter before, but I love the way this guy explained how to use it. So I took his examples and I made a, a, an example that just shows you loading in a screen using the regular stos commands. And then you use the blitter to clear the screen. That's it. Then it prints hello world on the screen in text afterwards because I just wanted to get a hello world up there. So that is number one. And after I did that one, I got, we got, in that video on YouTube, we definitely have some nice comments, but the one that was sent to us was by a guy named Joel. He got sent to us actually on, um, to the site. He said, and Joel said um, this. Joel said, this is so cool. This is Joel Olson. This is so cool. I was all about Stoss as a teenager. I'm now 45 and I'm recently smitten by the retro bug. Aww. Got myself some real hardware some real ST hardware again, and we'll for sure follow your tutorials to refresh. Thank you for taking the time to do what you do. It's awesome. It's like, I'm yeah, all, okay, I'm making another one. So, um, you know, what's nice about that is that I think, I think there's, you know, I'm not saying there's a lot of people who want to get into vintage computing and retro game programming, but you know, it's like it, it, there, there's a sense, a simpler, easier time when you could master the machine and fun to be able to like, this is the same with the 7,800. Like there's just so much to know. Right. And, yeah, there's and, only and a certain what, amount you could know. After and, and that, it's all creativity. It, yeah. Once you know it, you're like, okay, now I can be creative with what I with what I know. And I think that you know, you go and look at modern development tools. And don't get me don't get me wrong. You know, modern software development is amazing. You know, we can do amazing things. And but like, there's such a multitude of places to start that it makes a lot of people not never start. Right. You don't know what's the right. Like, I still can't choose the right modern <clears throat> JavaScript framework. Uh, you know, I still no. sit down and want to program in vanilla JS because 
I, I, I don't know where, I don't know what am I getting myself into, right? I, I think that, and I know that space pretty well. So imagine someone who's, who doesn't know any of it. And it's like, where do I start? And the, the answer is, I, I don't know. You know, it's so much easier to say, hey, go here, go get the ST. It's got 512 megabytes of RAM. And, you know, you can maybe get 16 sprites on the screen and we've optimized it for it. Go, run, you know, do what you want to do. No, exactly. It's just, I just feel like this is something that we can crack, that I can crack because there aren't a lot of information. I, I really want to make, I really wanted to explore making games on the STE. And I looked everywhere and there are some great tools out there. All of them, the barriers, there's a barrier to entry with all of them. Uh, big barriers to entry. One, assembly language, huge barrier to entry. Um, just trying to figure out, just the memory map of the ST is so complicated when it comes to graphics that trying to do it on your own without someone who's written like just some sort of a wrapper is really difficult. But also, you know, GFA Basic 3.5 and 3.6, it's out there. But there's you cannot find any USA language documentation. It's all in German. So, or I don't care. I maybe British. Maybe it was a British one too. But 3.5 has all these extra super things in it. I have no idea how to use it because I can only find two, some tutorials and things written. Nothing really explains what I wanted to get out of it. Then I have Mage, which is this written by some a great team. Um, and Ari Fleischman did the graphics, and um, I actually scanned in Pete Fletcher's um, uh, book for Mage, and he sent it to me, and I scanned it in, and I put it, I gave it to these guys. I put up the Magic Arcade Graphics Engine by MagicSoft, um, and let's see. So Dave Muncy, actually, Ari's not even given credit in here for doing the graphics, by the way. Oh, you're actually, we should probably we should probably tell Atari Mania that Ari Fleischman did the graphics. I'll send him an email to put it in here somewhere. I'll just add him to the, the programmer section. It has an incredible set of tools like Stoss, but more advanced. That but it doesn't target the STE. You could use the STE, and you can maybe use some other GFA stuff with it. But really, its graphic engine is great. And if you see so all, so it's for of, GFA Basic Mage. It's for GFA Basic, right. right? So it's basically a thing on top of GFA Basic. But it does still does not teach you a lot of GFA Basic. So there's a missing thing in there, which is what can I do with GFA Basic 3.5? Like how do I run all this great stuff? And I've compiled GFA Basic 3.5, and it's fast. Also, I've compiled Stoss, the version I'm using, 2.08. It's fast too. Yeah, I, think, um, I mean that's what I mean. Like I know you did a tool search. You may, people may say, "Oh, GFA is going to be better or something." But like, if you find a tool that you can actually use, right, make something with, I think that's better than anything else. So I'm right? trying to explore this tool as much as I can, and that and so the other tutorial I have up there is called Stoss Tutorial Number Two: Brute Force Blitter Sprites, Joysticks, and More. So oh, what I did cool. was I took the, the Blitter extension and I'm showing this. There's a simple version of Blitter extension that I'm using to clear the screen like the first tutorial, but I'm also cut out a piece of the screen and you can move it around the joystick as a sprite, moving it over the background. So you have basically what looks like a non-destructive sprite on the screen. It is, but essentially on every frame, it's redrawing the screen and replacing right. the sprite, just like we would do with any language, because there are no sprites there. The, the PC didn't have sprites, so every time we had to write something on there or, you know, GFA, you're basically saving the screen and re-putting it again afterwards. It's the same stuff. Like, every single piece of program I've ever done that's, that's targeted the screen in 2D on one of the machines is doing it the same way. Um, yeah. 
and you know every every st and beyond so that's what that one does and that's six more um lessons in that one i did see that one too now what what are your plans for the future for that so the two so the what i did was in this in this um tutorial i found by this guy named jj from strasser magazine he actually was the first person to do an exam and i gotta look through more of these strasser magazines because i gotta find them because there's gotta be great stuff in strasser there. what's it called oh, s-t-o-s-s-e-r like tosser but uh -huh. strasser yeah, I know. I get um, it. Tosser, Tosser. Yeah. But, but, but when did they come out? These are these are magazines from back in the day, back in like okay, the cool. 90s. Um, they're disc-based magazines full of like how to how to program in Stoss, and there's a lot of them. So I'm exploring those to get ideas. And what he did in, in one of them, it was the only place I could find that ever explained how to use the Blitter extension, but not the basic version of it. That's what I'm using is the basic version. You just... T tell it to cut out a piece of the screen and drop it on. It uses all the basic, pretty much, it's pretty slow compared to the other one. He has how to use the extra special part of the extension that's faster. And that's oh, what cool. I get into the next time. Like, how do we make this work better? So, well, that's, that's great. Well, I can't wait to see what you, what you make with it. Um, I'm looking forward to an Asteroids game. <laughs> it might be Asteroids. I did see today. This is the one, the game I, I think, I think, I keep on saying different games I'll make and I don't get there, but Asteroids is probably the game because I know how to make it. And it Choose one, Jeff. Second game theory. No, you have to make. That's what I'm saying. You have Asteroids to finish might game be the game just because Asteroids might be the game because it shows off a lot of the power. But I did see that there's no Gradius for any 16-bit system. The, um, it, it went up to the TurboGrafx-16 and skipped all the ST, the Amiga, everything, and then went to the Dreamcast after that. And Gradius is a pretty simple side-scroller, but if you do it right with the, the right arcade sounds and graphics, it's really, really cool. And it, it doesn't have so many things like parallax scrolling and stuff that are going to slow me down trying to figure out how to do. And it's something that has not been ever made for the ST. So it oh, might cool. be one of those things where you know, to get people into like looking at, hey, this thing's pretty powerful, is to get something that people recognize, which is a well, game. Well, do, like, do like a demo of it, but I, I think you should make well, I'm not doing the whole game. game. This is just like a one level, yeah. the first level demo. Yeah, make a, make a one level demo to say, this is what you could do, and then go and make Into the Void for, um, for, the, for the ST, which is oh, yeah, the side scroll I was, I was building for the 7800, but I was building that, and then I went to um, Number Crusher, and, now, and then I did this Halloween sort of, um, last stand Halloween shooting game, but that was just because I would do it over the weekend. But I'm desperate to finish Number Crusher because I also don't want to fall into that first game thing. I need to get something done so I can move on to my second right. game. Right. Um, so we game. talked about how you settled on Stoss. Ultimately, what game do you want to make? So ultimately, I think I want to make a. I want to make something that I couldn't make before. I've never actually made a horizontal scrolling shoot 'em up and that's why i'm looking at you know also into the void the one that the, a version of into the void that you're doing the 1700 for the st would be great that's why i want to do something like uh, like a, a port of some type because i'm never I gonna see. i'm never gonna be able to do the graphics at all because i'm terrible at graphics but i could make some using ari's tutorials and his book which is great and i'll put a link up to that in the show notes also um it's a it's fantastic but i also I think that if I could do something like a port like that, that I know I could do myself just trying to uh, the, really, to me, it's the rendering engine. That's, that's the biggest like hurdle because I want it to render fast. And that's why I want to use the, you know, S to site, the ST scrolling and the ST glitter to be able to render things fast. Do you think 
using the using the current version of Stoss that you have, that someone could make a, a ST role playing game. Oh, of course. Oh, but yeah, that's that's 100%. that's my my goal is to build, you know, an ST role playing game, some type of role playing game. I don't know exactly what, but I've always. I mean, wanted you could to make a fantasy fantasy game without i mean you need the graphics but there is no uh, well i would do fantasy but i would but i would want to scroll the screen on the upper map and i'd want to have dungeons that were actual scrolling dungeons as well you know you could do the scrolling map even with just plain stoss like you don't even need the way that if you're looking for fast super scrolling then you you really don't want to use the stoss the scrolling that's built in but realistically you could make everything we want to make with the game like fantasy just by yeah, using it's all, all the tile i like tile based scrolling yeah so built in tile based scrolling but there also is um, the missing link uh, extension by top notch which is which is guys made this, they made something called misty then they made missing link they redo all the drawing and all the stuff and how you put things on the screen with just regular ST, not STE. And they do a great job. And with that one, you could do a great job. We could make a, a, a like a fantasy style game. Well, that's cool. So, so we will put in the show notes links to the blog entries and the video. So anyone who wants to try their hand at making Atari ST games could do worse than than trying to start with stoss right in fact you know my first tutorial that's just how to set up everything on a atari hard drive or any hard drive give you all the stuff you need to go and then i give links to the manuals so you don't even need to go through the tutorial after that you just 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 get making something in stoss and i think there's a lot of atari st people out there who you know they were beaten down i swear so there's a lot of atari st people out there who had atari st millions of them were sold got to the 90s the uh, amiga envy beat them down the like the amiga like the the atari PCMV, st went yeah. away the atari st went away and the amiga became this machine that just kept on growing and growing even though even though commodore went out of business and everybody who who was who was uh, like 10 in 1990 and then got a 16-bit computer in the uk they got an amiga there were no very few got an st so like all the all, most people that know retro from that instance aren't our age they're almost 10 years younger and oh, they all 20 remember years this younger as, or 20 oh, no, years you said younger. 10 you said 10 in 1990 yeah yeah 10 years younger so yeah. and so a lot of st people if you get st stuff out there a lot of people had an st for a little while then and got rid of it as a game machine and got a, a nes or got a or got a pc because they just wanted more power and they like oh my god the st you could do stuff with it they didn't even know Right, because yeah, they they left it too early, and that's kind of the sad thing is I that mean, it has I all mean, this I'm, potential it, and power. So as much as the as much as I'm mad at the Tremiels, you know, just about Atari Atari Corp and all that, the Atari ST fits pretty good. I mean, it fits in the vertical blank pretty well. It's kind of the same, like the seventy eight hundred, which is sort of the lost system. The ST kind of is is a little bit of a lost system too. It did really well for a short amount of time right exactly. you know ended up in every recording studio on the planet well if you but, think about it, it it's the st's life almost even though two different companies the st's life almost mimicked the atari 100s not to, but but it's funny because obviously the technology is different but because the atari 100 was really big and for like a couple of years it was the most games and top selling and then it got knocked out and mostly because of the ineptness of atari but, but I don't think the Tremels were adept, but I think the same thing happened. Like, no matter inept or not, the same thing happened. Like, the yeah, ST just didn't keep up. Technically, the whole thing is, the technology didn't keep up fast enough. Both of them. It's the same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, they didn't change it enough to make it go. Anyway, so yeah, I hope I hope this is what I hope. I hope we get an email from someone that says, you know what? I sat down on Thanksgiving, had some time, <laughs> and I pulled up that ST tutorial and I started programming the ST. Like that would be the greatest thing. Like just some downtime over Thanksgiving, where you could be thankful for the entire ST, and we're thankful for Stoss. Hey, let and me put it this way though: I hope. if you if you pull if you have an Amiga emulator and you pull up Amos and you start programming it, let us know about that too. Like yeah, like yeah, if you totally. have. If you have a, a Commodore 64 or an Atari 800 and you pick up something, you just start making a game like Turbo Basic or something like there's some good basics for both that where you can make games and compile them. Let us know about that too. The thing, the reason I'm choosing Stoss is it's what I want to do. Yeah. But that's, that's not why the only 700 Basic, the same thing. 700 like Basic or like Atari 2600. Like this is more about like getting out and being thankful for your favorite programming language on your computer and get there and go out and do something with it. You know, but and here's uh, the irony of just of a building a 7800 game now. I can build a 7800 game and I can put it up on the web in JS 7800 and people can play it. And I can't say that about the 200 or so games we worked on in Flash from nope. in, in, in the Audis. Most of those are unplayable. In fact, I have but to I can, remake them. In, I'm going gonna, I'm uh, gonna to remake a bunch from Instos because I can. I know. And I, I think it's, 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 it's funny that like, you know, a 35-year-old game system that only had 70 plus games made for it now is more viable of a platform than a platform that millions of things were writ written on for over like a 10 or 15 year period. Yeah, it's it's, you could, the 700 still goes and Flash is dead. Um, and in fact, <laughs> the 700 now, I mean, there were only what, 60, 70 games made for it at the time. I don't know how many. Um, yeah. But there is double that now. I mean, because of, and double that in games that are better. Oh yeah, it, having As to, good I or better. tell you, so um, the guys from Zero Page Homebrew invited me to judge do uh, judge the awards of seventy hundred games for this. Oh wow, this that's awesome! Cool. So I, I have saw an email from them in inbox again. So I'm I'm looking very looking forward to playing a bunch of games and judging them. So fun! It'll be really fun. Anyway, so thankful for Stoss, Jeff. Thankful for Atari ST Stoss because it got me back um, to start programming games again. And me too. Thank you for the 7800 as well. But we'll talk about that some other time. You know where they both live? In the vertical blend, Steve. That's right. They live in the vertical blend. All right. Until next time. Prepare to write new data, V blank ending. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.